You know, until several months ago, uh, we had never heard of Tony Losetto. We didn't know who he was. Most of us had not been to Cleveland before. In fact, I'd just like to show our hands. How many have been to Cleveland? Raise your hand. I know Steve has a time or two. Uh, all right. A small percentage of us have actually been to Cleveland. And then until several months ago, none of us, as far as I know, none of us knew Tony or Beth. We'd never met them. They were nameless to us. They were faceless to us. They were some of our church planters, but we didn't know who they were. Uh, in fact, they're nameless and faceless to most of the people in Cleveland. They live in the old Brooklyn community. Those folks are starting to get to know them. They're starting to recognize them. They're seeing them serving their community and their neighborhood. So uh, their names are starting to get known in old Brooklyn. But by and large, I'm guessing in the whole city of Cleveland, lots of folks don't know them. They are nameless. They are faceless. You know, God has a history of working through people like that. God has a history of working not through the famous people, though he does that as well. But he kind of has a history of working through people that most folks don't know. Most folks don't, couldn't call their name. In fact, I just want you to help me with the Bible study tonight for a, for a couple of minutes. I want you to think of both Old Testament and New Testament. I want you to think of stories of, of people who did something significant, but they were, they were nameless in Scripture. We never know their name. They're not mentioned by name, just what they did. They, they appeared for a moment on the pages of Scripture and then they're gone. So can you help me make a list of who are some of those kind of folks? The centurion, absolutely, the centurion. Give me another one. Samaritan woman at the well, yes. The widow who gave her all, that's right. Yes, okay, very good. Good Samaritan. Okay, that's right. Yeah, okay. Somebody else. Some, just somebody in Scripture did something significant, but we don't know their name. The leper who said thanks. Say that louder. The man who got... Oh, the man who got his sight back. I'm sorry. Okay, all right. There's lots of folks like that in Scripture. Lots of folks are mentioned in Scripture by name, and, and they've, got, they've made a name for themselves in Scripture. You know, we, we always know about Moses and David and Joseph and Jeremiah and Paul and Peter and John and Andrew. Lots of folks in the Bible have their names out there, and we know who they are, and we're grateful for them. And, and we'll talk about them in just a moment. But there's also folks in the Bible who you never hear who they are. You never get their name. But they did something very significant. Tonight, I want to focus on an unknown, unnamed young girl in Scripture that God used to totally change somebody's life. We won't know who she is till we get to heaven. But she's an unknown, unnamed young lady that God used to change somebody's life. She, now watch this. She was nameless, but she was faithful. I want to go to one of my favorite Old Testament stories. And, and I tried to think today why it's one of my favorite Old Testament stories. And I think, if, if memory serves me correctly, it's one of the first messages I preached. 
when I was starting out in ministry. Perhaps not the very first, but one of the first messages that I preached as I was first, probably when I was 18, I turned to the scripture to preach it for the first time. So that's only been about 10 years ago, and it's easy for me to remember. All right, so the story that I want you to go to is in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I, I've preached from this story before, uh, not this Bible study, but I have preached from 2 Kings chapter 5. I just want to look at this story perhaps from a slightly different angle. 2 Kings chapter 5, we have the story of a man who is named, and his name is Naaman. He's a Syrian military general who lived in Syria uh, in the 9th century B.C. Now, Syria was the country north of Israel, just as it is today. That country still is in existence. It's still there today, still a very prominent country in that part of the world. Naaman was a commander of the entire Syrian army. So Naaman was, had quite a prestigious position. In fact, I might say it this way, Naaman was a somebody. I mean, he was a somebody. People knew his name. People knew his rank. People knew his position. Naaman was a somebody. He was a great military leader. He was held in high regard by his king, his commander-in-chief. And so we pick up the story now, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Lots of things, lots of information in verse 1 about Naaman. First of all, it talks about his position. What was his position according to verse 1? Commander of the, of the entire Syrian army. Talks about his, uh, his distinction. He was highly regarded by those around him. I mean, when people looked at Naaman, they, they kind of pointed to him and said, isn't he something? I mean, have you, that, that guy is incredible. He's such a great leader. He's such a great man. He was a man of great distinction. He was a man of accomplishments. Tell me why in verse 1. What kind of accomplishments did he have? In verse 1. Through him the Lord did something. Yeah, so, so watch this. God used Naaman to bring these victories for the country. But Naaman had a problem, and the problem is listed for us in verse 1 at the end of the verse. Those last four words changed everything for him. What was his problem? Le had leprosy. And in that day, if you had leprosy, you were a doomed man. It doesn't matter. You know, it, that's it's still true today, isn't it? It doesn't matter how high in rank you are, how popular you are. Disease can still strike your body. Rich and famous alike, poor and unknown, disease can still strike your body. And that's what happened to Naaman. Somehow, somewhere, Naaman had contracted leprosy, a, a dreaded and fatal disease. Leprosy was, was in some ways the, the AIDS of that day. It was a horrific disease. Maybe we could even call it now the Ebola of that day. It was a terrific, uh, horrific disease, and it ate away at the flesh of the body. There was no known cure. Now, leprosy was probably, or Naaman's leprosy was probably in the early stages because he could still cover it up. Look in verse 11. Just skip down to verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the what? Over the spot. 
Now, we'll come back to that whole story in a moment. just want you to notice that perhaps, in, it seems in this situation, Naaman's leprosy was, early, was in the early stages. It was not covering his entire body. He says, I thought that this great person, this man of God, would come and put his hand over the spot. So the infection was probably limited to one place, but before long, his, his condition would become known to others. Before long, his condition would become visible to others. And Naaman, once that happened, once his condition became known to others and visible to others, then Naaman would have to step down from his position of honor. And he'd become an outcast in society. And he would eventually die from this fatal disease. Only the power of God could could heal Naaman. Now, although Naaman did not realize it, when he had leprosy, when he contracted leprosy, all he, although he did not realize it, God was already at work. Could I say to you that sometimes you never, have an, you never know what God's doing? Behind the scenes, you never realize sometimes how God is at work. You see, around this time, the Syrian military patrols were conducting raids into Israel. And during one of those military raids... A young Israeli girl was captured. She was forced into slavery. And she became a maidservant to the wife of the Syrian commander. Its story is told in verse 2. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. It's interesting to, to, to note how that came about. She did not come willingly. She did not come volunteering, uh, voluntarily and, and say, yes, I'll go help him. She, she, you know, if, if you were this little girl and you were taken captive by this military and, and taken from your home and taken to another land and forced to be a slave and a servant of this man, I, I don't know about you, but probably I think that you probably would say, I really don't care what happens to him. It might even be good if he dies. It probably deserves it. I was taken from my home. I was taken from my family. I was removed from this situation. Who would have ever thought that God was accomplishing his purposes and plans through this unknown, nameless little Jewish slave? And so I just want to pick up this story and tell you two or three things. And, and I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. All right, so if you're taking notes, you can write this down and, and uh, I'll... I want to pause about halfway through the Bible study and tell you a, good, a wonderful story to illustrate this biblical story. Here's the first point I want you to get. God works in ordinary ways. Now, sometimes God works in extraordinary ways. Sometimes God works in miraculous ways. But do not forget, ladies and gentlemen, that God sometimes works in ordinary ways. We're always looking for God to do the miracle, and, and I understand that. We're always looking for God to do the extraordinary. We're always looking for God to do the big splash, and I like it when he does that, don't you? It's fun when we see God do the big splash. It's fun when we can celebrate something amazing, but God also works in ordinary ways. The word ordinary refers to routine. It refers to that which is mundane. It refers to that which is sometimes even boring. I don't know if you look at what's going on in your ordinary life right now. 
but you might look at your ordinary life and say, there's no way that God's going to accomplish much in my life, especially there's no way that God's going to do anything eternal in my ordinary little life. But God works just like he did in the days of Naaman. His eternal plans are accomplished many times in mundane, ordinary ways. Uh, You know, we're all involved in ordinary things, aren't we? I mean, tomorrow, probably most of us tomorrow, probably most of you are not going to do something extraordinary tomorrow. I mean, if we were to take the time and say, okay, you know, what you doing tomorrow? You know, well... I'm going to go get groceries. I'm going to go to work. And, well, I'll probably go to work first. Then I'll get groceries after work. And I've got a doctor's appointment. And, and uh, then, then I can take the dog to the vet. And, I mean, that's kind of our story, right? I, oh, I've got to go get gas because we got paid. It's time to go fill up the car. Man, I've got a big day tomorrow. I've got big stuff to do tomorrow. No, you've got ordinary stuff to do tomorrow, right? So do I. So do most of us. But here's my point. Sometimes we think that God only does significant, th- significant things through someone's life when there's been this dramatic event. And again, I like the dramatic events. But we forget that sometimes God is working in the ordinary. Sometimes God is working in the less than significant times. David was a man in the Bible that you know his name, right? David was a a young shepherd boy, but once he was chosen by God, he served God's purposes for a whole lifetime. Uh, Here's what I want you to know about David. David was a nobody. He was nameless. He was a nobody. And in the ordinary days of life, ordinary circumstances of life, suddenly God did something amazing, and David became a somebody. Now track with me. i got another example. The disciples... Were the disciples very prominent people before Jesus called them? No. The disciples before Jesus called them were doing ordinary things in their ordinary days. Matthew was sitting at tax collector's booth. He was collecting money. Peter and John were out fishing. They were just doing ordinary things in their ordinary day. Just going to the bank, buying groceries, going to the vet. Just ordinary, regular stuff. And in that ordinary day, Jesus intervened and Jesus met them. And all of a sudden, these men who were nobodies became somebody. But now here's the big question tonight. Can God use a nobody who never becomes anybody? What do you mean by that? David started out as a nobody, but became quite famous, right? The disciples started out as nobodies, but they became quite famous. But can God use a nobody who never becomes a somebody? Because let's look around. That's what most of us are going to be, right? Most of us are never going to be famous. Most of us are never going to write that big book. Most of us are never going to do something amazing that's going to, uh, we're going to be on the news and, People are going to write about us and want our autograph. Most of us, maybe all of us, are just going to be nobodies in the world's eyes. Nameless, faceless, in the world's eyes. And can God use a nobody 
who never becomes a somebody. Yes, he can. I want to tell you, listen to this. Somebody get ready to put an amen just to put an exclamation mark at the end of this statement. Here's the reason God can use a nobody who never becomes a somebody. Here's the reason. Because the issue is not, are you famous? The issue is, are you faithful? That's the issue. Are you faithful? Not everybody becomes a somebody. Not everybody becomes somebody famous. Not everybody becomes a king or prophet or disciple or missionary. In fact, most of us don't. Most of us don't become that famous somebody. We are ordinary people with mundane lives, and what can God do through us? And here's the answer. Listen, listen, listen. God can use you to change somebody else's life. God can use you like he used this nameless girl in the Bible. You don't have to be a big name to be a part of a big plan. Do you hear that? You don't have to be a big name to be part of a big plan. You never know what significant thing God might do today through you. All right, so let me bring you through the second point, then we'll dig into the scripture right here. Here's the second thing to write down, second point. God often uses unknown people as a major link in a chain of events. God often uses unknown people in a major, as a major link in a chain of events. In chapter 2 of, or I'm sorry, chapter 5 of 2 Kings, there, there are two pretty well-known people in this chapter. In the first of the chapter, we hear of the man Naaman, and we're told that he was well-known, he was distinguished and all that. And towards the middle of the chapter, we hear of a a really well-known prophet. His name is what? Elisha. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Think through this with me. Naaman, prominent man in the community. Elisha, prominent with a capital P, prophet. But they didn't know one another. In fact, Naaman did not even know who Elisha was. He didn't know where Elisha was. He was one of those people, he wasn't really kind of a God kind of a guy, and he, wasn't, he didn't know about Elisha. So how does this prominent man, Naaman, get to this prominent prophet, Elisha? Let's read the story. You'll see the link, how God uses unknown people as a major link in a chain of events. Verse 2. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, I find this extremely interesting because... Number one, she knew about his leprosy, apparently. She had seen the spot. She had been in the family, serving the family long enough to know the family secret. The family secret was that Naaman had leprosy, though he was trying to hide it from everybody else. She had been there long enough to know about the spot. She also apparently had been there long enough to gain the confidence of her, uh, the, the lady, Naaman's wife. And somehow, this young lady who had been taken from her home had enough compassion in her heart to say, I wish that my master would go to Israel. There's a man there. 
There's a man there that could change his situation. An ordinary Jewish girl was the link between the prominent man Naaman and the prominent prophet Elisha. She was the vital link who brought the two together. Now, I want to read you a story. You know, they used to tell us in seminary not to, not to read a lot, not to stand up and, and read a lot from the pulpit, that uh, that's just not the way to do things. But it's been a long time since I've been in seminary, and I'm not in the pulpit. So, and I'm trusting that you won't report me to Southwestern, so I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit. Because I started to just try to tell you the story. But I don't think I can tell it as good as Jeff does. So I'm just going to read you the story. But it's an illustration of how God uses an unknown person as a link in a chain of events to accomplish his, his glory, accomplish his mission, and see lives changed. All right, let me tell you who, who, this, uh, who wrote this book and tells us the story. Some of you went to Canada with us. Several years ago, we started a, a partnership in Toronto, Canada, the Toronto area. We were at, uh, in Oakville. We were working with a church called the Sanctuary. How many have gone to Canada with us? Good number of you remember that time. It was, it was a wonderful partnership, five-plus years, I think. We, we took trips up to Canada, just like we've had people go to Cleveland. And on... Many of those trips, we would meet a man who was the senior pastor of, of there was a series of Oakville churches or sanctuary churches uh, located around Oakville. And the, the pastor's name was Jeff Christofferson. I don't know if you remember that name. We, Jeff was a dear man of God. The, the pastor who had the vision to start the church at Oakville and the sanctuary churches in the surrounding area. And he wrote this book called Kingdom Matrix. And he tells the story of his dad, how his mom and dad got saved. Listen to this. My parents, Alan and Helen Christofferson, were married on June 4, 1960 in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, Canada. They soon began a family with the birth of their first child, a little blonde-haired, a blue-eyed girl named Kathy. Three years after that, I was the second and final child to be added to their young family. My father possessed an eighth-grade education, so his workplace options were very limited. He found work as a laborer cleaning beer storage tanks at Molson's Brewery, which paid enough to support his young family. His salary package included only one benefit, free beer. The trajectory of my dad's life, similar to his colleagues, was not at all promising. Alcoholism had shipwrecked the lives of many, many men and their families at the brewery. One weekend, one weekend evening in 1967, my parents decided to go on the date they telephoned a neighbor to babysit, gave her final instructions, jumped into their black 1958 VW Beetle, and headed to the old majestic Aform Theater to take in a movie. Somewhere along the way, their interest was piqued to take in a religious movie called The Restless Ones. Popcorn in hand, they settled into I'm sorry, popcorn in hand, they settled in to enjoy the entertainment that their one dollar and twenty cents had purchased. You can tell this has been a while, right? As a good movie should, the plot soon captured their attention. They found themselves engrossed in the human struggle illuminated in front of them. What my parents had not expected was a far more personal struggle that began to surface in their spirits. While watching the spiritual journey being represented on the silver screen, they found themselves being confronted with their personal sin and a desperate need of a great Savior. 
while the actors on screen sat in a Chevy convertible top down listening to Billy Graham's preaching emanating through the radio, my parents fell under the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. While the actors bowed their heads and prayed to receive Jesus Christ, my dad reached over and clasped my mom's hand, and together they wrestled under the heavy conviction of the living Christ. Something very serious was taking place in their hearts. Now make sure you understand what's happening. They're watching a movie about this, this couple sitting in a convertible, and they're listening to Billy Graham preach. And the couple on the movie are praying to receive Christ, and as they're watching this couple on the movie, something's happening in the heart of just mom and dad. The movie soon reached its fitting conclusion, but to my parents' surprise, the evening was not yet over. A middle-aged man dressed in a suit and tie walked out to center stage and began to address the audience. He instructed that if anyone wished to respond to Christ, that they could get up from where they were, uh, walk down the theater aisle, and come pray with him in front of the theater. My parents surveyed the audience and didn't see anyone moving forward. The man patiently waited at the front for several minutes and then very politely thanked the audience for coming out. My parents got out of their seats and made their way back to their old black VW. Something very new was happening. In the safety of a closed sheet metal doors and the comfort of vinyl bucket seats, my parents began to talk about the implications of the commitments that they were contemplating. On that evening, in a parking lot outside the Orphan Theater, Alan and Helen Christofferson surrendered their past, their present, and their future to the saving power of Jesus Christ. They had been forever changed. From that moment forward, life became an adventure. God led my father on a series of immediate faith steps that started with his quitting a job at Molson's Brewery, learning a new trade, welding, and eventually leading him to befriend a quiet yet spiritually intense man that God would use to forever change our family. And he talks about how they got involved in a church at a, with a church planter named Jack Connor, and that Jack Connor discipled them, and they were involved in a church called Scarborough Baptist Church, and, and they, they were just discipled by this great man of God. Uh, God's gracious hand led my parents and their new faith to jump in the middle of a kingdom-focused culture. This became the new normal for us. It was a gift. Now, fast forward 35 years. Listen to this. Fast forward 35 years. My father was invited to be on an interdenominational leadership team that would organize and host Franklin Graham Crusade that was to take place in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. One of the first organizing meetings was held in a large room where Christian leaders from all walks of life gathered for inspiration and instruction. My dad found his place at a round table and settled in to take in the evening. His spirit was both excited and grateful to be part of this opportunity. The chairman of the in initiative walked up to the microphone, made some introductory comments, and then made a request of the audience. I'd like for us to spend a few moments first celebrating what God's already done through the ministry of the Grahams. Would two or three of you in this room want to come to the microphone and share how the ministry of Billy Graham has impacted your life? My dad's heart began to race. He sensed the Holy Spirit saying, share your story. Yet his flesh said, speaking in front of a group this large, you're just a welder. Before he knew it, he found himself taking shaky steps toward the microphone. He told the audience about that day in 1967 when he took his wife to the Restless Ones at the Orphan Theater in Prince Albert. He told the group about a skipped altar call and an encounter with Christ in a VW Beetle. 
He told them about the church that they had found and the adventure they continue to be on. He told them about those two small children who were being babysat by the neighbor were now spending their lives starting new churches all over Toronto, Ontario, and across Chile in South America. I do not know how many hundreds of lives are now in the kingdom because my wife and I went to the movies that day. Now listen real carefully. While my father found a seat at his table, there seemed to be a holy hush settling in the room. An elderly man slowly made his way in a straight line to my dad. Tears flowing down his cheeks, he stammered as he introduced himself. Hello, Alan. My name is Tom. Tom Dice. I'm a retired family counselor in the area. I want you to know something, Alan. God asked me to bring that movie to Prince Albert. God asked me to bring that movie to Prince Albert. I rallied my friends and colleagues, and we really expected great things to happen. Night after night, we played the movie, and night after night, I stood before the audience, and I asked them to respond to Christ. Night after night, I went home very disappointed. Until this day, to my knowledge, nobody ever responded. I thought my project was a failure. I wondered if I had heard God right in the first place. But I did hear him, Alan. Now I see it wasn't a failure. With joyful tears running down Tom's face, he embraced my dad and said, Now I see. Praise Jesus. Now I see. Thirty-five years later. Thirty-five years later. He got to understand that he was a link in something special that God was going to do. By the way, we could fast forward this story even more. Jeff Christofferson now is not only former pastor of the Oakville Church, he's not only an author, Jeff Christofferson is now vice president of North American Mission Board in charge of all of Canada. And it all started when a nameless, faceless man decided to be obedient to the Spirit of God and bring a movie to his town. And he stood before those people night after night and he gave an invitation and nobody responded. And nobody came. And he went home feeling like a failure. Can God use nobodies who never become somebody? Yes. Yes. Use the nameless, faithful young lady to bring Naaman to Elijah, and his life was changed. He used this man who was nameless and faceless until his story was put in this book. Nameless and faceless, God used him. A nobody who remained a nobody. But God used him as a vital link to do something that changed many, many lives.
I want to close by saying this. Hello, nobody. Tomorrow's going to be an ordinary day. Tomorrow's going to be an ordinary day, and you're going to go to ordinary places and do ordinary things. And you never know when God might use it. You never know when God might use you as a link to do something amazing. I think that's why, if I can find the scripture, I think that's why Paul wrote these words. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You may not hear about it until 35 years later. Or you may not hear about it until you get to heaven. But your work for the Lord is never in vain. Let me pray with you. God, thank you for using that story in my own heart, in my own life, to show me how you are such a sovereign God and you take nobodies to do something incredible. But we don't always see what that incredible thing is. Tomorrow in our ordinary lives, in our ordinary day, as we do ordinary things, we want you to have the freedom to use us. If there's somebody we can speak to, if there's something we can do, if there's some way we can just be a connection, be a link, we want you to have the freedom, oh God, to do your will through us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you folks. I love you. Thank you for being here tonight.